excuse me while I put my fist and my face through a pie and a wall. I don't know what order that's going to happen, but I'm just so angry. I would say pie first. Yeah, it probably will soften the <laughs> blow on the wall a little bit. Pie, then, like, at least you had a pie before the wall. Also that. You're listening to the Jilted Indian Podcast, a show that examines the immigrant and first-gen South Asian American experience through politics, history, and pop culture. Join our hosts as they explore all the ways they don't fit in, reclaim their connections to their Indian heritage, and eventually say, fuck it, we're starting a feminist commune. Here are your hosts. Hello, and welcome back to the Jilted Indian Podcast. This is Pooja. Miranda. And Anju. And we come with love and courage to talk about Black Lives Matter and allyship. This is our first episode post-election, but we're recording it pre-election, so yay or ah as applicable. (laughs) Um. (laughs) In the last few months, we have lost so many civil rights icons and luminaries and trailblazers in the um, pantheon of Black America. We lost Katherine Johnson, the woman who got us into space. The Honorable John Lewis passed away at the age of 68. Little Richard passed away at the age of 87. Reverend C.T. Vivian at the age of 97. And Bob Ryland at the age of 100. He was the first black tennis player to go professional. So these people suffered such huge indignities in their life, including violence against their person threats against their lives, and just the microaggressions we all deal with at an outsized impact on their life. And they did these things in order to usher in a better future. Yes. So now we're here in this weird space where we wanted to talk about the people who posted the black squares earlier in the summer. So three reasons we wanted to talk about this specifically. We wanted to contextualize how non-black POC should view and understand Black Lives Matter. We wanted to call out and call in some arguments we've come across that are doing nobody any good of any kind. And then we wanted to provide you with the tools you need to move on from being not racist to actively anti-racist. First, I know this year feels like an eternity and we're all leaping from crisis to crisis. And especially a lot of us are working from home. So it is difficult to remember what day or time of year or what the hell is happening and it's especially hard to remember what has happened like last week let alone three or four months ago Mm. so we're just going to do a really quick recap um, of the major events from this summer and we're going to do a quick status update to see what's come of some of these cases and the protests so far spoiler alert don't get your hopes up (laughs) ever ever don't get your hopes up ever (laughs) I mean that's probably just a good rule of thumb in general All right. um, first up Miranda All right. Well, we're going to talk about the timeline of just recent events. So I saw this video on Vox, which was about police impunity in black debts. And this was right around the end of June. And there was a statistic that out of 1,944 police killings of black people between 2013 and 2019, 
Charges were brought against police officers in only 3% of cases, around about. Fewer than 1% of police killings reached a conviction. Let me go back to that number. 1,944 police killings of black people. 1% reached a conviction. Wow. (laughs) I have no words for this. So uh, you all have seen the news. You've been paying attention. But just to give you a timeline of what's happened this year. Uh, In February 25th, Ahmaud Arbery, who was an unarmed 25-year-old black male, was fatally shot by two civilians while jogging in Georgia. In June, a grand jury returned an indictment with nine counts against each of the three men involved, malice murder, four counts of felony murder, two counts of aggravated assault, false imprisonment, and criminal attempt to commit false imprisonment. They faced life sentences without parole. They weren't cops. Mm, No, that's true. They were everyday citizens. And they weren't cops, correct. Although they did have friends who were in the police department. That's why, like, the DA had to recuse themselves. It took, like, three people, three times to get the correct prosecutor to investigate. This went all the way up to the state attorney general, didn't it, for them to eventually get charges? And and that only happened because of the awareness. Otherwise, they would have quietly shoved it under a rug and nothing would have happened. Their racism is so insidious that the tape was released by the attorney for one of the fools filming because they thought it would exonerate them, showing that this man they cornered like a hunted animal fighting back to save his life was, in fact, the reason he is dead. (laughs) He didn't take the abuse. (sighs) It's wild. On March 13th, Breonna Taylor, 26-year-old black woman, was shot by police eight times when they executed a no-knock search warrant in Louisville, Kentucky. A grand jury indicted former Detective Brett Hankinson on three charges of first-degree wanton endangerment for allegedly firing blindly into the apartment and endangering neighbors. Yes, that's right, folks, for harming the drywall, not for shooting a woman eight times. And this is important to note, people weren't talking about Brianna's case when it happened. They weren't talking about her until after George Floyd's death. Speaking of George Floyd, May 25th, George Floyd, a 46-year-old black male, was killed in Minneapolis during an arrest, allegedly using a counterfeit $20 bill. The trial of four former Minneapolis police officers were charged in his death, and that trial begins in March of 2021. June 12th, Rayshard Brooks, shot by an officer when a complaint was filed against Brooks being asleep in a restaurant drive through line. The former Atlanta police officer was charged with felony murder, aggravated assault, and other offenses. August 23rd, Jacob Blake was shot seven times by police while trying to break up a fight between two women in Kenosha, Wisconsin. He was shot in front of his three children. The two officers have been since placed on administrative leave, and don't we hear that all the time? Um, In fact, it was mentioned in that Vox video that cops are just getting paid leave for killing black people. So that is 2020 from about spring until now. Um, We recently heard of Breonna Taylor's case just this past week uh, from the time of record. So 
we just heard about the indictment for the drywall this past week, and that's why I'm stress eating, you're stress eating, and we're all stress eating. Andrew. Right. So uh, I just want to talk about the two, like Miranda had said, we found out about Breonna Taylor not in March, but after after George Floyd, when all of the protesting has been happening this summer, that's when we started hearing about some of these older cases that had not gotten the awareness that they should have earlier. So Breonna Taylor's was one of them. The FBI case is still pending, so there is still the possibility of an indictment. But again, I, I wouldn't hold your breath. One's breath should not be held in most cases. Yes. Yes. The Louisville City Council did pass Brianna's law before any of the indictment. That's happened over the the summer. So that bans no-knock warrants, which is what was used in her case. The only black woman in the Kentucky State Legislature, Karen Attica, I believe her name is, is the woman who sponsored Brianna's law. She has since been arrested for supposedly throwing in flares and smashing the windows of a public library during the protests in the wake of the indictment. Just this week. And two, just this week. So two things from that. One, that's a felony. What do they do to felons in Kentucky? Take away their right to vote and their ability to hold office. (laughs) Number two, the public library came out and said, we fine with what she did. Is there even any proof that she did it? Because that that seems like a dumb thing for a office holder to do. I did not dive deep into this because the overarching thing to me when I see stories like this, like it's, it's racism. So I don't go deeper for the motive. Yes, like spin. That just sounds like spin to me. Yeah, I mean, I agree. I thought it sounded like spin. I just assumed, I thought it sounded like bullshit too. <laughs> yeah, and I think the library said even if she did it, that's fine. This is protesting, which goes to show you librarians are usually the coolest people on the that's block. <laughs> correct and correct. <laughs> uh, anyway, so yes, while there have been or were no real indictments um, for Brianna's murder, the law was passed that bans no-knock warrants, so the police have to announce themselves before they um, issue a warrant going forward. And I think also when the civil lawsuit her family brought against the city was settled also this past week or two weeks ago, maybe, along with the money that they received as part of that settlement, they also got the city to agree to certain police reforms. Anytime a warrant is issued... The cops will have to be wearing their cameras, body cams, and they have to be turned on before the warrant is issued. In this case with Brianna, because they were narcotics undercover officers, they weren't wearing body cams at all. So that should not happen again. And no drugs were found on the premises. Right. I mean, yes. The whole thing was about her supposed connection to her boyfriend's drug dealing, whatever, and they didn't find any evidence of that. Two points of clarification. Her ex-boyfriend was arrested across town. There is evidence that the uh, DA of Louisville tried to get him to plea that Brianna was involved in his drug enterprises for a lesser sentence, which he rejected. And just generally, can I ask you a question? How do you get a settlement for wrongful death and then turn around and say nobody caused the death? It was just property damage. How does that happen. $12 million to say nothing happened, essentially. Hush money, practically. I mean, I hate to be the one defending the city in this because they certainly don't deserve defense. But I will say there's a, a distinction between saying these three cops did not commit any specific crimes in her death and we as a city or as the police department didn't do anything wrong 
causing her death. I think there's acknowledgement that the warrant, I think that's also one of the changes that was made is that the process of issuing warrants has to change now as a result of the settlements. They're, they're making other changes as well on the back end. How are we ensuring this city is going to comply? Is there an oversight board that's been vested with power? Or is it just empty right. words that are nothing's going to come from it? I don't trust any anybody anymore because they have not given me reason to trust them. Yeah, I agree with that. I'm not saying that they deserve Anju, trust. Anju, you're just, saying... just so, you, you look for the positive in everything. <laughs> you know what, Anju, I want to sign an agreement with you that says, I, you know, I'm going to give you $5 in, in response. I'm never going to eat ice cream again without permission. <laughs> Can you enforce that? I'm not disagreeing with you. I get it. Fine. I'm just saying. <laughs> no, no, that's more for our listeners. Right. That's more for our listeners who think something's going to come of this. Please be woke. You know damn well some ice cream going to be had. Yeah. You know damn well. In fact, I'm eating ice cream the second we finish this episode. <laughs> <laughs> just in the aftermath of making oh. that promise. Yes. Oh, yeah. No, it's what's going to release the endorphins is ice cream. Um, right. Do we want to talk about how these are grown adults, but Elijah McClain was a child? Do we want to talk about that? Well, he was 23. Um, But yes, I was going to bring up Elijah McClain next. That's another one that we didn't learn about until the summer, although he was actually killed last August. Um, He was a 23-year-old kid in Aurora, Colorado, um, who was walking home from the convenience store where he bought some iced tea and um, got stopped because somebody called 911 reported a suspicious person because uh, he was wearing an open-faced ski mask. Anyway, in the span of 15 minutes, there was some sort of altercation. The cops used a carotid hold on him to subdue him, and then first responders showed up and injected him with ketamine, um, and then he had cardiac arrest on his way to the hospital and brain damage, and then several days later, his family had to turn off the machines. So, P.S. Ketamine is used all over the United States, in the prison system as well to subdue human beings and there are stories out there about emts on the scenes who are being directed by the police to increase ketamine dosages while they're you know on their on the suspect's neck yes you know these things are easily googleable the amount of ketamine that they injected him with far far exceeded what should have been acceptable for his weight and also it was bad practice to inject him with ketamine when he they had already done a a carotid hold on him because basically it was two different things that were designed to sort of slow his system first of all there was body camera footage they waited months to release it and then when they did release it uh, apparently the body cameras quote unquote fell off so you can't see most of it you can only hear the audio recording of what's happening although at one point one of the officers picked it up and pointed at his body and then dropped it again. Some shit right there. Of the three officers involved in Elijah McClain's death, only one of them was eventually fired, and not because of his involvement in the death specifically, but because a couple of other cops posted a picture of them reenacting the cold at the scene of McClain's death, um, like jokingly, and it was sent to him, and he responded with a ha-ha, and he got fired for that. Just Google Aurora Police Department and hit the news tab and you will see every week it's a new, fresh hell from them. Remember, these were the people that brought in Batman movie theater killer peacefully. It's the same police department. The 
the things that have come of it since, um, Aurora has an interim police chief, Vanessa Wilson, who announced that carotid holds and choke holds will be banned. And they have to declare an intention to shoot before they actually open fire. And also, they now have an obligation to interfere if they see another police officer using excessive, excessive force. Um, two council members are going to make the ban on choke holds and carotid holds part of the city ordinance. They're working on that, so it will actually be codified. And then the Colorado AG has reopened the investigation into his death, so there's that. And the Colorado Department of Health is now investigating the use of the ketamine, and this is where the first responder part comes in. So they're investigating that too. I need to know that the next step after these investigations includes a prong that says any settlement reached with the citizenry for police wrongdoing comes out of your budget and your insurance, and taxpayers are no longer footing the bill for your violence. I need that to be part of these reform packages. I need there to be a provision in malpractice insurance that if you aid the killing of a citizen using ketamine at the scene of a crime that you are not covered. Like that kind of level of shit. You know what I mean? Yeah, if you're directing medical care without a medical license, you should be held liable for any decisions you undertake. Following, yeah. Yeah, and also we know they probably threaten the poor EMTs like they threaten everyday people, so let's not get it twisted here. Yeah, but like to say no, I won't. It is against... The fine lines in my malpractice insurance, I w- I'm not allowed. They would not say, hold on, first of all, they would not be like, there's a provision in my malpractice insurance. This is I can't do this. It's I'm an EMT and I am charged, like I am somebody who helps keep people alive. So no fucker, like how hard is it to say that? But yes, they probably get threatened too. So, I mean, we have, okay, we have instances of everyday citizens killing black people. We have evidence of police unending violence against black people in the background to all of this there are other elements of establishing that black lives matter that are also under threat the first is voting we talked about voter suppression last week we talked about the gutting of the crown jewel of the civil rights legislation the voting rights act with shelby v holder from the supreme court we talked about these things that said these racist jurisdictions can put, you know, boundaries and obstacles in the way of voters without the federal government, you know, pre-clearance requirements anymore. After the civil rights era, the federal government was like, some of y'all ain't ever going to do right. And so we want oversight. What Shelby V. Holder did was say, Mm-mm-mm, no oversight at all. So we have trouble with voting. So the other thing yeah. that yeah, the other thing that happened in 2018 was in Florida, Amendment Four to the Florida Constitution passed by the voters, allowing felons to vote post conviction. So Florida passed this major piece of voting rights legislation via the will of the people, something that GOP left to throw down our throats, right? Will of the voters. So they said, let these people vote. Governor DeSantis said, you know what? Yeah, okay, they can vote, but they got to pay their fines, their restitutions, and any outstanding 
bills on their on their ticket. You know what that's called? It's called a poll tax. The precondition that you pay before you can vote is a poll tax. Aside from that glaring unconstitutional nature, there are two parts of this that should set you off. The first, they don't tell people what they owe at all. Either they've been convicted so long that the systems that the government upgraded to did not keep track of the information, so there's no way of seeing how much they owe, right, when they ask. The second is that there are organizations, LeBron James has a foundation and for some reason, Mike Bloomberg's on the right side of this. Sorry, before you get into that part. So they like the state doesn't even know how much they owe. No, not in all cases, depending on how long ago the person was convicted. Then I was to say it's not zero. Clear that shit out. If you don't know how much we own, then we owe you nothing. Exactly. Exactly. That is what a rational and normal person would do. But we a are rational with and normal person would. Oh, you. Oh, you know, we're not dealing with those. <laughs> we're dealing with Florida. And I was going to shame them about having a brain eating amoeba in their standing warm water. But there was some discovered in Houston this week. So I will not. I will not <laughs> bring that karma. I hate the fact that Texas can never point fingers at Florida because we're like in a dead fucking heat to know who's the worst. <laughs> So the first thing, you know, they they don't tell them how much they owe. Bad enough. Then you have people like LeBron James and his foundation. Mike Bloomberg, for some reason, is on the right side of this issue, who (laughs) are soliciting donations from their organizations to pay off these fines. And then the GOP turns around and says, you can't do that because that's like buying their vote. Um, So just to be clear... They went to court and they got to judge to uphold this this requirement saying it was not a poll tax because they said it wasn't about elections. It was that these people had not paid their debt to society until they had also paid off the fines. So it was not about elections. But now when people want to help them pay off those fines, suddenly it's about elections. They may not get to court before the election, but I'm just saying if I want to see how they contort themselves to explain that it is and also is not actually about elections at the same time. It's going to be pretextual. It's it's all it's nakedly white supremacy at this point. Anything else is going to be flimsy. And it's just like I hated Antonin Scalia. He is an example of the mental gymnastics you're talking about, the pretextual nature of every argument, and the flippity-flop between issues and the finding the nuance in something that wasn't there. You are making laws based on the equivalent of a magic spell. I hate this. And this is just an excerpt of what we're looking at now because we're aware This has been happening in Southern jurisdictions, especially since the civil rights era, to black and brown people trying to vote. Yes. And so when we say we are alarmed by how many lifetime federal judges have been appointed during this administration and how this is what's on the ballot when you vote, you know, we bring these things up for a reason because of that what you just said, Pooja, basically magic spells. That's what they're basing these decisions on. Exactly. So you have attacks on civil and human rights from, you know, nakedly out in the open by the police and other state militia groups. You have 
on the back end, suppression of voting and the elimination of a constitutional right. And then on the middle ground, the once every 10 year activity of the census has become so politicized, so politicized. And we all know what the census does. Anju, I know you love talking about this. What does the census do? <laughs> the census is meant to count the total number of people, not citizens, I want to be real clear, people living in the country so that we can correctly proportion the amount of federal funds that they get, that each of these jurisdictions get, and also the number of representatives that they get in Congress and the Senate. Again, people, not citizens, I hate to break it to you, but the people in Congress also represent people who are not citizens. <laughs> Because they still live in their district and they still use things like parks and schools and they still need to be represented. And hospitals and roads. All of the things. Yeah. What Anju is alluding to is the polyp that fell out of Mr. Monopoly's anus, known as Wilbur Ross, who is overseeing the census, has tried to get a question included on the census as to who's a citizen. You know, are you a citizen? And the intent being, we will identify non-citizens and round them up, right? That's the coded language there. The other thing is that he has stopped advertising. They tried to stop door knocking. They are crashing the website on purpose, not on purpose. Sorry, I just want to be clear. He did try to get a citizenship question on, but he was denied. They were not able to do that. Oh, yeah. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, yeah yes. that was yeah. quite a de an ordeal at the time. Yeah. So these are some things that are happening behind the scenes to lay the groundwork. That was like an hour of laying groundwork. <laughs> but just know, um, it's that serious. They're being a Black lives are being attacked on multiple areas. Because if you think about not being able to vote, not getting money for federal services, not getting accurate representation because the census is being hampered, what does that do? That prevents you from getting the tools you need to, A, move out of poverty, B, have a healthy and safe life, C, not be a victim and oppressed by the state. These are things that when voting is are being attacked, it's just as bad as having to watch black people being murdered on TV every day. Right. And I just want to be clear, these tactics that they're doing, putting a citizenship question on there to lower uh, response rates, all these things are meant to lower the response rate, specifically in urban areas and democratic areas. They're trying to make sure that Dems get, like liberal parts of the country, get less funds and, more importantly to them, less representation. It's a way of taking away seats in blue areas and adding seats in red areas. It's basically gerrymandering except census style, in a way. Pretty much. So... What we have given you just now is the basic timeline and only just like a smidgen of the nuance surrounding all of these institutionalized and like systemic forms of racism that occurs in our country, like how black people are being attacked from all angles. What we want to do is add nuance by talking about the chaos that surrounds all of this. Earlier in March, it was reported in the New York Times that racial division was going to be exploited by Russians to sow chaos in America. That was reported. It was reported that it would be exploited um, in the year of the 2020 election, 
and no one was paying attention to it. Basically, they found out that there were going to be attempts to exacerbate racial divisions and that it's only one strand of Russia's influence operations in 2020. And, quote, one of Russia's goals is weakening institutions and the weaponization of race is a way they can do that, said Laura Rosenberger, the director of the Alliance for Securing Democracy. A divided America is a weaker America. And when we are unable to solve our challenges together, Russia is more able to flex his power around the world. Now, before you think, Miranda, you, you, you're looking like that Charlie Day meme where he looks crazy <laughs> and he's trying to like point out all these things like Miranda, that's really conspiracy theory. No, it's not. Because following the George Floyd protests, I recall, do you all recall, many accounts on Twitter. Now, if when I say the smartphone is the hero of our most recent civil rights movements, the smartphone is the only reason why we're even protesting right now. Because the smartphone is what brought evidence of these police killings to our eyes. So no matter what, spin they put on it we are actually seeing these murders take place we are actually seeing them abuse their power and so just like that at these protests there is protest footage of black people saying to white people please stop spray painting that building we didn't ask you to do that do not do that and uh, a woman dressed up in all black was spray painting BLM on a building. There's like video footage of it. There were a lot of buildings set on fire. There was a building set on fire by a white dude, not even affiliated with Black Lives Matter. And there's uh, footage of him being arrested, taken away. In Dallas, here in Dallas, um, one of my uh, last meals is Ellen in Dallas, like Ellen's brunch in Dallas. Um, Please, you know, if for whatever reason I am on my last meal, I need the, like the pancake breakfast sent to me stat. Anyway, <laughs> Ellen's was broken into during the protests. And you know what? Ellen's owner did a video and said, you know what? I saw in my security footage a chubby little white dude breaking in my window. Isn't that weird? And there were multiple reports of this of white people dressed as protesters causing you know violence damaging buildings oh these mysterious pallets of bricks appearing don't you think that's interesting so like it seems like it's almost a rehearsed and concerted effort to sow chaos and there is evidence upon evidence upon evidence of it happening and now police departments are starting to recognize that that is what's going on Pooja so how does this tie into the overall message that Black Lives Matter? So you have these chaos agents sowing, you know, this disdain for the movement right after there are protests, peaceful protests launched that are in itself responses to acts of violence against the black community. So what does that do? Is that like a, another form of propaganda? Is that the division by the Russians in order to, you know, get people to not vote, to have a race war, to upend the country. It's like all these things are made so easy and so rife and low hanging fruit, to be quite honest, because America is inherently racist. 
Yes. Um, this is not um, everything that's going on is Russia's doing. That is not it. It's our own inequities are being used against us as a weapon. That's what's happening. And there is actually a documentary right now on Netflix called The Social Dilemma, where they talk about things like we've mentioned. The genocide in Myanmar is one example. And that social media, like the algorithms that are used to spread all this information to cater to your views, if any power decided that they wanted to fuck up a country, they could do it at the drop of a hat. If you want to like enter full nihilism, watch The Social Dilemma on Netflix. It's actually the people who created and participated in the creation of these social media applications. Yeah, they are saying we did not put the measurement in place to keep this ethical. Yeah, let's talk about how insidious not just the algorithms are. In terms of sowing chaos, you have these boogaloo boys in their little Hawaiian shirt uniforms and the proud boys and all these boys um, who are going out there in their modern day clan robe of all black, right, to, to stoke these fears and chaos. Then you also have to consider that there are things like DHS and ICE who are going through and grabbing people off the streets at these protests to question people. You have things being done to protesters that are against the Geneva Convention, shooting people's eyes out, tear gassing people. We heard that there was a heat ray potentially that was going to be used to disperse the crowds in D.C. So there could be a photo opportunity at a church, right? You have these things being perpetuated against the entire populace instead of doing what? Holding police accountable for the violence perpetuated on black and brown communities. Anything but holding police accountable. Right. Anything but holding police accountable. So, I mean... You have that chaos. You have purposeful harm being done to people so that in our minds, we talked about propaganda in our last episode, we have a strong emotional reaction, right? And that's going to make you feel a certain way about the movement. But here's the thing. It doesn't matter who the person is. The police hate it, right? Who else are being victimized by the police when they stand up for Black Lives Matter? White people. <laughs> ding, ding, ding. Now you're being attacked by the police. Congratulations. Plot twist. <laughs> That's what's so remarkable to me about this, like the whole protest that, that sprang up is that all the cops had to do was to hide their crazy long enough for it to go away. And they just couldn't. <laughs> like there have been so many viral videos of them attacking protesters journalists you know just anybody who is in the vicinity basically like agitating in all of these all around the country like it's not like it's one bad police department like they're they're making the argument for us that they are all violent and all indiscriminate in the way that they apply that violence well i mean not indiscriminate but yeah (laughs) like they're definitely discriminating against black and brown lives but when it comes to protesting and holding them accountable about it then they are willing to spread that violence over to Anybody who says anything, anybody who tries to criticize them, anybody who tries to hold them accountable, 
then they are met with the same level of violence. And just like I said, with with journalists, just people who are witnessing it. Yeah. And circling back to that, like talking about, you know, in Breonna Taylor's family's settlement, you know, being able to hold other cops, like basically rip a cop off of a situation where they are obviously using excessive force, like they need to have that power in writing. Otherwise, more of this happens. But yeah, white people, now you're being attacked. Welcome to the movement, I suppose. I mean, we had the Navy vets in, in uh, Portland. There's video of one, but there were actually two of them who just went out there who saw after Van started like randomly showing up and taking people off the streets, they felt a need to go uphold their oath to defend the Constitution. So they went up there to go ask these people, what the fuck are you doing? <laughs> like, you're breaking the law. And there's that video of the one guy who got beaten with the baton by one of the the guards and then they who broke his hand. He had to get have surgery and then sprayed in the face. And there was another a third thing. But then he, then he finally like turned away and walked away. And they were protesting, but they weren't even like there was no violence or anything involved. He just approached them to talk and he got beaten and then sprayed by this guy. And then there's. The old man, we all saw that 75-year-old man, Martin Gugino, in Buffalo, who got shoved over by cops and then had a whole, like, platoon just walk past him while he laid there bleeding. Yeah, Yeah, I remember that. That was horrifying. Another protester pushed through those cops to help that man. Are you kidding me? Like, how do you not see this as a problem? And circling back to the chaos agents... And now the outright violence, acts of war, some of these things that the police and these federal agents are doing are considered acts of war, as defined by the friggin' Geneva Convention. You have the Boogaloo Boys protecting their faces from not being picked up on surveillance cameras, right? Because what else do we have to add, going back, tying in algorithms to this, is facial recognition software by some of our faves, Microsoft and the Instagram and the Amazon, you know, providing this technology to ICE and to the police. And just recently, this last week, there was a conviction overturned based on faulty facial recognition software because why people are not prioritizing anybody but white people when they design anything so now when you have these these tools of the future quote-unquote being used to identify criminals they're falsely identifying black people there's studies or articles and and you can search it out yourself to see that amazon's facial recognition identified as criminals professional athletes tied them to things not happening and we did acknowledge with george floyd that the cops were called on him the cops were called on him by a non-black person of color his store policy was to call the police when there was counterfeit bills over twenty dollars call the police over twenty dollars so let's talk about allyship and the shame and how non-black pocs and white people from our perspective can better learn allyship and accomplice mentality to be actively anti-racist because this episode is called hey there black square people let's get into it let's talk to y'all face to face come to the brown table yeah sorry jada (laughs) (laughs) yes shame i want to start this by 
sharing a quote by Austin Channing Brown, who's a writer and activist on anti-racism. Quote, as someone who talks about anti-racism for a living, there is something really special that happens when I'm able to talk with someone who is also doing their own work. In this conversation, you can hear the joy and the intensity, the desire to be collaborators of naming truth and digging to the roots. This kind of intimacy, humanity, is what's possible when we all take our own anti-racism work seriously. Austin Channing Brown. I actually learned about Austin Channing Brown through the hashtag share the mic series. Uh, a number of Hollywood stars, thought leaders, and athletes passed the mic to black women, activists, thought leaders, athletes, entrepreneurs. And it was this awesome effort that was adjacent to the Black Lives Matter movement following the death of George Floyd. And she actually um, was on Brene Brown's podcast. And by now you all know that I am a Brene Brown stan. So um, if you haven't checked out that podcast, check it out. Austin Channing Brown in this episode where she is speaking to Brene Brown uh, said this. The work of anti-racism is the work of becoming a better human to other humans. Brene actually asked her to say that again for the people in the back. The work of anti-racism is the work of becoming a better human to other humans. So here's our choices, right? Number one, feel shame or prepare to feel shame and work to become a better human to other humans. Or attempt to avoid shame. And I say attempt because, bitch, you're going to feel shame anyway. It's shame. Shame is inevitable. It's the master emotion. Try real hard, though. Our second choice is to attempt to avoid shame by avoiding the situation or, as many do, overfunction or underfunction to that shame. Blow up, get defensive to the point of disconnection or obstruction to progress, obstruction to justice, or worse, as we have seen, violence. That's how afraid we are of knowing our real story. And in our last episode, I talked about the heritage of America. America's heritage is rooted in violence, in marginalization. So that's how afraid we are of acknowledging a real story. And that's why when these conversations come up, shame comes up. And how do we handle it? We run away from it, avoid it, overfunction, underfunction. I was just thinking, you can see that how we're afraid of knowing our real history from shame based like just seeing how particularly the Republican party has reacted to the 1619 project, the idea of like rewrite, you know, recentering American history with a lens that actually like talks about the black experience and how embedded racism is in this country and how incredibly threatened white people are by that. I mean, it's, it's, it blows my mind that there are people out there who are really like, just offended at the prospect that this country was that people think this country was founded in white supremacy and i'm just like this isn't like it's in literally every history book like I, how did you not know <laughs> history is taught through the lens of nationalism in our country when that is your story and whatever truth comes forth threatens that story it's threatening your reality threatening everything you care about threatening your idea of who is is and isn't a moral person when you get threatened of course you're going to flip out when something like 1619 Project comes out. Hi, I'm here to bring forth an instance of cognitive dissonance. How the hell you going to sit here and want a whitewash, and I pun intended if that's a pun, 
version of American history and then be the same type of people who love true crime podcasts and want to know the behind the scenes story. I don't get it. I don't get it. I don't get it. I don't get it. You're willing to acknowledge that there's a behind the scenes. There's more to the story. There's always something going on. But on this one issue, your head is so far deep in the sand. The mental and physical gymnastics to keep your head buried, to Black Lives Matter in the face of the choice, you know, to deny it is asinine. It is. You're not a functioning adult, despite my <laughs> mid-grade depression. <laughs> you are not a functioning adult. Yeah. That's an aspersion I cast on you. I will say, I see you, Pooja, and I see your, like, anger. I And I feel the same <laughs> anger. And I am with you. And I also understand why like white people are like but I'm a good person also they should have listened to the police when I listen to the police I don't get killed you know like they, they they it's really easy to start making up those stories in your head and it doesn't help that the media spins stories in a way to incite anger it doesn't help that the 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 god they can't even they can't say the word killer racism they can't say Racially those tinged. words they avoid them yeah, they, they avoid those words at all costs. And what does it do? Makes you click, makes you say, you know share it and say, this is irresponsible, which I am not a fan of resharing problematic media posts. Please make it a practice to stop sharing the original links of media posts. Take a screenshot. It's not hard. Learn how to use your technology. But do not forward articles from the original link you're just helping them make money and you're helping perpetuate this problematic behavior that the media, you know, they use social media for this very purpose. It's the very thing that Social Dilemma talks about. You can't get past shame in this. You can't just like, can I do this version of anti-racism where I skip over the shame part and get to the I'm a good person part? Can I do that? This is hard. Like this, that's basically what we're seeing from would-be allies. Like... I get it. Look, I get it. I get it. I'm not perfect. Y'all are not perfect. You listeners, I know you're not perfect. But the thing is, we've all had to confront shame when it comes to racism. All of us. All of us. And I'm willing to say right here and right now, and I've said it in previous podcasts, I've had to confront some of this shit. I've had to confront removing the sickness of white supremacy from my veins. And that's actually a quote by Sonia Renee Taylor, author, poet, thought leader, and activist, um, writer of The Body is Not an Apology. Check out all her stuff. We'll share a um, an Insta story that she actually posts where she talks about, do not talk to your families, white people. She was saying white people. Do not talk to your families about black people and why they matter. Talk to your families about the sickness of white supremacy. Like, And it was it's this totally fire Insta story. We'll give you the link to it. But basically, that's what we're confronting now. What and how, rather, how is the sickness of white supremacy still in your veins? How are you still going through the patterns that were instilled in you as a result of white supremacy? So you put up a black square. You probably had a caption. I'm taking some time off. I'm going to read all these anti-racist work from all these critical race theorists and authors and researchers. And then you have the chaos moments that make you think, well, what's the point? You're not 
admitting to doing the work to be anti-racist. And I say this because in the recent protests in Portland, this has borne fruit. The co-opting of Black women's movement, right? You saw it with Me Too, with Alyssa Milano trending hashtag Me Too over the creator and owner of that hashtag for 10 years, Tarana Burke, and the activism she was doing. In Portland in 2020, you have Wall of Moms. It came out later, if you follow Portland News, that the founder of Wall of Moms was notoriously anti-Black. So I bring that up because you had all this press about all these white women, these moms who are here to support Black Lives Matter. There were moms in Ferguson. There are moms everywhere. <laughs> Trayvon Martin's mom, you know, Tamir Rice's mom. These are moms and nobody stood for them. So you have that co-opting a movement there. Then you have the naked Athena, right? Who, after all the violence had stopped, strode in, pussy out, spread eagle to the police. What did that do? Correct. What did what that, did that do? do? Just like, hey, elected officials, the Kenthe cloth and kneeling. What did that do? I am frustrated because I am seeing patterns that people worked hard to stop and practices that they would have rather seen die continue that I didn't recognize before. Right. And one of the, my biggest critiques of allyship is that you center yourself in that equation. Right. You're now becoming the person. I'm the ally. I'm the good person. Fuck, you No, you amplify voices. You sit back and you actually do that listening. And then you do the work that's required and the work that's being asked of you, not Put your pussy lips out to the police. Nobody asked you to Nobody do that. Nobody asked you to do that. Correct. Uh, so if you put up a black square, what did you do then? Did you seek black voices outside of your perspective? And I'm not talking about black people who foot soldier for white supremacists like Candace Owens. I'm talking about anti-racist voices. Have you checked your consumption? And I'm not talking about of the black struggle, but literally just black artists, black authors, black directors filmmakers documentarians is that even the word people who make documentaries like Ava DuVernay um business entities and like I just want to make it very 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 clear there are businesses that profit off of black culture and that's not who we're talking about I'm not talking about um those businesses I'm talking about businesses that are black owned I'm talking black equity have you checked your gullibility We've talked about media spin a lot in this episode. Um, I know people who put up black squares that still think Antifa is an organization. And they are equating white supremacist-led and police-led protest violence to Antifa because a bunch of white supremacists cried in Antifa, you know, cried Antifa, and the media outlets are echoing that bullshit. Like, how easily do you fall for that stuff? Do you do your own research? Did you post a black square and then have the audacity to say out loud that arguing back and forth with racists in your life is hard so you won't speak your mind anymore? Really? 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 Like, I know. But, like, these are audacious little equity is hard, like, posts. And I've got a shit on these people. Like, and they're some of them are my friends. And I hate it. And I... And I want to also take to task the notion that other white people won't listen unless a white person is speaking. Recently, 
in the Players Tribune, a white quarterback who quarterbacks for the Detroit Lions, um, Detroit, right? And he pointed out all these inequities that he himself has witnessed. And people were like, oh, look at this. This is true. This is great voice. This well, white Russell. man will bring black people to the promised land. I don't... <laughs> I mean, I, I I don't necessarily think that was his personal. No, intent, not at all. But, but just, that's how it's taken and yeah, co-opted and lifted. I, I'm just yeah. Like, yes, I'm just like Bill Russell has been writing about this. Kareem Abdul-Jabbar has been writing about this. Muhammad Ali was speaking about this for generations. Uh, why now are we listening? Why now are we expecting black people to? endure the collective trauma of sharing these fucking police murders these lynchings by cop why are we expecting them to endure the emotional labor of that instead of just listening to what they're saying why why is this the rumor? i know 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 shame <laughs> um it's because they are holding on to and maybe overattached to the notion that they are morally good. And now it has become so loud. This injustice has become so loud and the do-nothing nature of people has become so obvious that they're now changing because, partially because, it has now reached a point of are you in or are you out? Are you with us or are you not? Are you useless or are you like, do you, are you a good person at all? And that's the question that came up finally. That's the question that came up finally following George Floyd's death. That came to, that boiled to a point that even conservatives were putting Black Lives Matter and, and people are like, look at Mitt Romney marching with, you know, Black Lives Matter people. And it's just like, finally they're doing it, but they're not really. Because are, what, or what else are they doing? What else do they do other than put up a black square and march in a protest? for two seconds you know what I mean not to discredit that but I'm saying what are you doing and we want to talk about some activism like some actions you can actually do to be an actual ally not just post a black square and say lucky guys allyship check you know but real actions so now you're probably asking yourself, they have yelled at us. Thank you for sticking with us. They have really taken <laughs> us to task. And you're asking, well, I better become a better ally. What can I do to level up and become an accomplice? Yes, there are levels to activism, people. So we want to do better. We want you to do better because what's at stake here? Lives, literal lives on every front of things. So... Don't worry, the Jilted Indian podcast will, you know, carry you through this as gently as we can. We, we yelled at you now, but now comes the gentler, better part where we offer advice. And if we see that you're not taking it, we're going to yell at you again, right? <laughs> Nobody sponsors us. We will freely yell at you. So, um, <laughs> all right. So I want to level set some things about active uh, advocacy and activism a lot of what the Black Lives Movement is asking for is accountability, right? There is so much about the police because of the police unions, because of the protection from city councils and legislatures, state and federal, that protect them from releasing statistics, right? Or true or the full story or things like that in the interest of public safety and personal data and all those things. 
what Black Lives Matter is, is a foundation that began in 2013 after the killing of Trayvon Martin. It is global. There have been Black Lives Matter marches in the U.S., U.K., and Canada. Their mission is to eradicate white supremacy and build local power to intervene in violence inflicted on the black community by state and vigilantes. So it's not Antifa. It's not Marxist. It's an organization trying to preserve the lives of members of their community. I urge you to go to blacklivesmatter.com and get the details. Do not listen to media. Listen to these people. There's a reason there's no leader at the top of this organization. It's so that they can focus on local activists in within each arm of the organization to highlight the problems because each community is different. Uh, the other two things. One, defund the police. I know there was a whole hullabaloo about people talking about, let me wash my pearls because this means chaos. No, guess who's conducting the chaos? We talked about it at the middle of this episode. The police. <laughs> so the state is initiating the chaos. So no, defund the police does not mean anarchist state. Okay? It means diverting funds from the police for things like these taser shields for things like military gear. Why are the police dressed in military gear? You are not in the United States military. You should not be wearing camouflage at a bank robbery, Robert. And that is a, that spits on what it takes to be in our military, which is typically 11 to 13 weeks of basic training. They don't and- just show up like that they like again there was like in in those um you know video smartphone captures of what was going on in the protest when they sent the national guard in there was a man who had been deployed to Iraq who commented on what he was seeing he said i would not even let my own troop do this that's not the word and shout out to Amer- America's armed forces when there have been incidents of public, you know, racism by people in uniform in their private life. They have taken action. Yes. Publicly, and spoken right? out against I, it. He's like, I would not even let my own troops do this. I would not even let my yeah, own troops but- do this in Iraq and look at what they're doing in America. Exactly. And you talked about that that veteran who was attacked and and we see that they don't care about past service in 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 their mission of their brotherhood right their their <laughs> republic clans so allegedly, allegedly, uh, allegedly. i know i know but He's it's just ask. saying like it's it's honestly <laughs> it's honestly like i respect you as an a veteran i respect you as a veteran thank you for your service unless you're not white supremacist like it's almost like that exactly it's almost like that exactly exactly so the simple ask with defund the police, the simple ask is to cut the city, you know, budgets, additional funding to police. Like say from 2021 to 2026, the city won't give the police any more than they already get. That's all it's asking for. Divert any extra funds to other programs. Equal housing, better education, sustainable food sources. These things also matter to not just black lives, but to the poor, which we know poverty does not, you know, 
as much as the government wants it to, does not stick to a color line. Okay? So the other thing you need to be aware of is that when people say defund the police, we were talking about earlier, the resist box, people who sit in things they're uncomfortable with, that's shame. Learn what it is. Don't get sucked in by what the inflammatory voices are saying, because what do the inflammatory voices want? They want your clicks. They want your views, because they are paid by they ad money. Power. So please... Yes, adjust your perspective. The final thing that I want to broach, and we're not even near ready to talk about this in the mainstream, is prison abolition, right? My education and awareness contribution is the PDF of Angela Davis's book, Are Prisons Obsolete? Yes. Just reading about the history of the carceral system in America, from the beginning to what it has become now, the prison industrial complex will make you sick to your stomach because it is not about reducing recidivism. It is about exacting punishment. So in terms of activism, my messaging is look behind, you know, do your true crime research and look behind the headlines. Look behind what people you agree with are saying in terms of what these organizations represent. Do your own research like a responsible voting age adult would do it's not even skepticism it's more like oh this is what you're saying well i'm going to investigate this further and and the thing is is that the problem with that is biases and all of these issues we're talking about the 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 history we were taught that's rooted in nationalism the biases that we were taught the sickness of white supremacy though all those things need to be held to the fire honest to honest to goodness like it's okay to say i don't know it's okay to say i don't understand it's okay to say you know what i don't understand what's going on right now i'm going to be open to all of the information like that takes real vulnerability puja yes and so the bottom line here is black lives matter <laughs> is not coming to threaten to take away your whitehood. It's not telling you you're a terrible yeah. person. It's not saying worship black people. It's saying look for accountability in our institutions and then demand equitable changes. That's what it's saying. When you break it down, that's what it's saying. And it's trying to highlight that the evidence that the system is broken is the treatment of black lives. The evidence that the system is broken is the treatment of black lives. Yes. Sit with that. Sit with it. Yes. Like, you don't have to have an opinion right now. Just sit with it. Raising your education and awareness is also part of this journey. You remember that article that was like, white people do something. Well, the person originally who wrote it was like, get these books, and then got a lot of flack for that. Like, yes, let's cure racism with books. Like, that's not just it. So actually, the author of that article listened to black voices who had a problem with what she said, and then edited the entire list to include actual great actionable items. So it's not that reading books are a bad thing. It's that there's a whole list of things that can be done and don't stop at just reading books. Books are important. Education is important. Talking about racism is important, but we're saying that's just not it. But speaking of books, um, I did actually buy a lot of books. Tanisi Coates, 
Between the World and Me, uh, which is a punch to the gut. Uh, every other page. Like, but it is so important. The letter to his son, like, it just... And the connection between those generations where he's talking about, I didn't know that you would connect to this, uh, you know, and I, I believe he referenced Michael Brown's verdict in that book. Like, I didn't know this would hurt you like it hurts me. But like, and and making that connection in that book and that letter, and it's just like, oh, um, but that's such an important perspective to read. Uh, there are the... Uh, the, like the Kendi and the Channing Brown books on anti-racism. A lot of people are buying those books. I actually own Austin Channing Brown's book. Uh, I'm still here. And that's one of them. Um, there's documentaries like Ava DuVernay has come out with some of the most impactful documentaries as of late. Uh, is also creating shows like Queen Sugar, you know, on top of that. Uh, directed one of the highest budget films given to a black director with a wrinkle in time uh there's pieces like that that are these are stories to help you see perspectives and she's brilliant at it there's you know not just stories of black struggle like i said black people are not just their struggle like (laughs) i hate that i have to say out loud that black people are people who do things i fucking hate that i have to say that out loud they're not just their struggle. They are not just their struggle. I also hate that we have to have metaphors for it. Like, we have to reach into, as a society, to pull out the parable about Jesus and that one sheep that went astray. And that's the one that needs attention right now. It doesn't mean I love the flock any less. If you treat people as people, none of this will be a problem, Right. The power structures in place have corrupted people, and the the power structures in place have also turned us against each other in the sense that let's victimize black people and poor people and indigenous communities because they're standing in the way of my American dream. We can't have this because they need that. No, no, no. Let's be objective in what we do in our activism and our advocacy You know, become aware, get educated, yes, but the next step is what makes you an anti-racist ally. Yes. It it takes you from being just aware of the problem to helping to solve the problem. Correct. Like, I see things like that happening. Like, for example, this is in the entertainment world, but the next director of Captain Marvel is a black woman. Um, Putting the black community in places of power where their stories can be told and perspectives can be shown. It doesn't have to just be about black stories. (laughs) It can be anything. And like, let's not put them into a corner. We're like, okay, you just talk about black things. No, no, (laughs) no, but rather embrace everything. Yeah, doing that just says that black people is only exist to be black, right? If you pigeonhole people yeah. like that. Yeah. That's what that's saying. Expand your horizons. <laughs> that's all we're saying. Expand your horizons to include uh, black artists, black creators, black business owners. We're going to talk about uh, black owned businesses in just a second. But it's not just their struggle. Like, expand to all things so where can we put our money where our mouth is well you could donate to black lives matter you can donate to the aclu 
um, you know, civil rights fund on you. You can find bail funds near you that help people who are sitting in jail waiting for their trials um, but can't afford their bail. So um, definitely encourage you to do that. I had a link in the show notes that is for the Florida Rights Restoration Coalition. Um, we were talking earlier about the rights of formerly incarcerated people in Florida who like have to be able to pay their fines before they can vote. So this is a fund that is trying to raise money to help pay off those fines. For me, I think just again, Black-owned businesses, uh, Pooja, actually a couple of your classmates put together a group that is wildly popular and one of my favorite food porn sites of all time, DFW Black-owned restaurants. They were so popular and so successful that the restaurants they were advertising were actually running out of product, like running out of materials to make, like people were supporting so hard. So um, just... Supporting and following pages like that, um, I want to make you aware that just because you are seeing black people shown in things like advertising does not equal equity. For example, there is this company called Zuri that um, has a lot of Kenyan-inspired clothing, Kenyan models. They're shown all over their ads. They also have a website that talks about how the company benefits um, the women who make the clothing in Kenya, yet who owns it? Guess who owns it? A white woman. A white mm. woman. A founder. It was a white woman. And, you know, yeah, they just say, we're putting money back in. The, mm, okay. <laughs> Who um who are your investors? Who actually makes all the money in your company? You like it it's like um black lives are being exploited for your capitalistic efforts and that's happening everywhere. I don't know if you noticed how many black models are like the the increase in black models for clothing companies, the increase in black models for damn near anything that is a capitalistic effort. That does not equal supporting black equity. It, to support and to um, act in favor of black equity is to support businesses that are owned by black people. And this is an issue, absolutely an issue right now. 95% of black owned businesses were shut out of PPP loans. 440,000 black owned businesses went out of business due to COVID-19. And one of those was on DFW black owned restaurants. Uh, that I tried to go to that was like a vegetarian restaurant in Dallas. It it fell it, it went out of business. So it's just like I it's it's hollow and empty to just be inclusive. And I'm not saying that including black models is a bad thing. Thank you for finally freaking doing it to the level that it's being done now. But that does not equal equity. That's that inclusivity does not equal equity. And I want that to be pointed out. Support black owned businesses. Look up things like uh, when you want jewelry, look up black owned jewelers first. When you want um, grocery items, check out how many grocery items. And this could be another topic for us to go on forever. Like how many companies create cultural foods that are owned by white people? How many cultural foods are sold by white-owned companies and they're making money based off of other people's cultures. What kind of shit is that? Look, your your activism could be something as simple as asking your local grocery store, you know, your your Kroger signatures or whatnot, 
their managers to stock a certain product. It could, your activism could be as simple as that, right? It's just a matter of researching and not accepting the default, right? We talked a lot today about Black Lives, how it is being attacked publicly, behind the scenes, insidiously, and historically. And we talked about this because we believe it's important that we all level up from basic allyship. The time for that, you know, you're not going to get rewarded for that anymore. Thank you for not outwardly hating people of color. Um <clears throat> Now it's time to become an accomplice. And to do that, you have to become actively anti-racist. And to be anti-racist, you must take steps to dismantle systemic racism, whether it be small, whether it be big. Allyship will not do that. Anti-racist accomplices will help do that. So thank you for joining us while we talked about, you know, anti-racist allyship. We know it's a lot, but to help bend that arc that MLK spoke to, we need to push it because it can't be done normally. Thank you for listening. This has been Pooja. Miranda. And Anju with the Jilton Indian Podcast. We came with love and courage and we hope you go in peace and power. Thanks for listening. You've been listening to the Jilted Indian Podcast. The Jilted Indian Podcast is an independent production produced by the hosts Miranda, Anju, and Pooja. Make sure to subscribe and leave a review on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or your podcatcher of choice. Follow the show on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Jilted Indian Pod. For more information on episodes, including show notes, visit JiltedIndianPod.com. Hey there, Jilted Indian Podcast listeners, it's Pooja. I come to you with love and courage for a special programming note. As you heard in this episode, it was recorded prior to the 2020 election. And because we keep meticulous records here, I can tell you that this was recorded on September 12th. However, on September 24th, the grand jury in the Breonna Taylor case issued a single indictment for Officer Brett Hankinson for the charge of wanton endangerment. As you remember from the episode, this has more to do with the damage to other people's property than it does to the murder of Miss Taylor herself. The grand jury failed to indict the other two officers, Jonathan Mattingly and Miles Cosgrove. Later, a grand juror sued to make the proceedings public. Please note that grand jury proceedings are often private and never published and records are sealed. He did this because he stated that Kentucky Attorney General Republican Daniel Cameron misrepresented the proceedings in the media. Specifically, he claims that Cameron did not present any other charges other than wanton endangerment to the grand jury. And since the immediate backlash, Cameron released or made public the recorded proceedings. However, as the New York Times noted, within the 15 hours of recordings released, Statements or recommendations from prosecutors to jurors about what charges the officers should receive were not included. As of November 16th, there have been three grand jurors to come forward. The most recent one was a woman to corroborate that Cameron misrepresented the facts presented to them. This is a breach of the oath of office of the attorney general. In the show notes, we will also include an op-ed from the Washington Post written by Attica Scott on October 11th. I erroneously referred to Miss Scott 
as Karen Attica in the episode, and I apologize for that. Attica Scott is the only Black woman in the Kentucky State Legislature. She talks about the pain that this has caused Louisville and the impact in the faith of Kentuckians in their institution. She also goes on to talk about her initiative, Brianna's Law, that would codify actual changes needed to make a difference to the policing and the community. In the show notes, we will link you to the Louisville Community Bail Fund in order to support the protesters on the ground. And we strongly urge you to visit justiceforbriana.org for a list of action items that you can take to help reduce the politicization of the death of Brianna Taylor and reduce the communal harm facing Louisville and communities at large. Remember, it takes direct action to be anti-racist. Thank you for listening. Go in peace and power.